God is awesome. Awesome. All the time. Awesome. All right. We've been saying that for many years, haven't we? Sometimes it's a lot easier to say such a statement than other times. Take, for instance, does this work or not? Yes, okay. Should I plug it into my beer? Like, is that better? I don't have a collared shirt. I feel like that's like required. Sometimes it's a lot easier to say something like, God is awesome all the time when things are going really well, isn't it? It's a little harder when things like 2020, 2021, 2022 hit us. Or whatever might be going on in your life. Sometimes it's a lot more difficult. Yet the truth is that still that statement is still true. That God is awesome all the time. Even in those difficulties. Even in those hard times. So we must remember even though it's difficult. And we must even proclaim that God is awesome. Because he is unchanging. Even when we face a trial, he's unchanging. Even when we face difficulties, he's all-knowing. When we don't know, he does. He's always present. He's all in all. Our 2020 theme at BYC, which was a few years back, was going to be True View. Um, now it's true that we didn't have camp that year or the next. We, did, we were, by God's grace, able to use the, the facilities and the ministry for, for God's glory and uh, had some activities and stuff, which if you're interested in what those were, I can certainly tell you at some point. But God still used camp, but in a different way. Um, still, the, even though True View, so I was kind of thinking like 2020 vision, you know, like that was kind of like, oh, this is perfect for 2020. Good vision, right? Um, so I was excited for that. But you know what? The, the statement True View is still really, and the, and the truth behind that statement is really still important. In fact, it's essential for where we are today. And uh, so it's actually our 2022 theme as well. So we've just been holding off. We've been letting it mature and get better over time. So this theme is not only important, but it's actually essential for the day and age that we live in. It's probably always essential, to be honest, for each and every day. Um, But as we spend some time in God's Word this morning, which is a message different than I had originally intended to share today, but it still speaks the power and the importance of having a true view. A view that's not based on culture, not based on uh, current philosophies or thoughts, not based on our Facebook feeds or what Twitter or, um, there's probably, Twitter's probably not even the cool one right now. What's that one? TikTok. Uh, what's going on in the TikTok world? Um, that's pro- I'm so old, that's probably not even cool anymore. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to follow all that. Not what's going on in that realm, but what is... Uh, what we learn and what we glean from God's word and the, um, the invaluable um, impact that that has in our lives. And before we go any further, I just, I just want to invite you to pause and pray that these words would not be my words, but that they would be what the Lord has for us and that he would be glorified in our time together this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you are awesome all the time. We thank you that you are in control of all things, even though something like a pandemic is not our favorite thing, it does not catch you off guard. You are not off your throne. You are still uh, in complete control, Lord. So we surrender ourselves this morning to you. Uh, 
help us to do that. Help us to surrender ourselves. It's very easy to, to go on our own strength. So I pray, Lord, that um, as we open your word this morning, that it would challenge us, that it would transform us, that it would correct us, and draw us closer to uh, um, a passionate and deep walk with you, Lord, and that, we, that you would be glorified in the time that we have in your word. I pray that these would be your words and not mine, and that you would be glorified. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. People said? As a self-described angry atheist and a skeptic who thoughtfully uh, dissected Christians and the Christian worldview, this guy J. Warren Wallace suddenly found himself, actually I think it's Wallace Warren, Warren, it's one of those things, he suddenly found himself reading the Gospels to hear what Jesus had to say. Um, A friend had consistently invited him to church, and he eventually reluctantly gave in and went. While he was able to ignore most of what the pastor talked about, maybe you've perfected that, I'm not sure, he was able to ignore most of what the pastor talked about. When the pastor spoke about Jesus, it spiked his curiosity. While he was not interested in bowing the knee to Jesus as Lord, he was willing to listen to Jesus as a teacher. And he bought a Bible a week later. As he read, something about the Gospels caught his attention. As a professional and an experienced investigator uh, of crimes, he explains in, his, in, in this book that I was reading, Cold Case Christianity, that he had interviewed hundreds, if not thousands, of eyewitnesses and suspects over the course of his career. He was trained, he was specially trained um, and, and understood how these, those testimonies were evaluated in a court of law. And something about the gospel struck him. They struck him as more than mythological storytelling. And as he thoughtfully considered them, the gospels actually appeared to be ancient eyewitnesses accounts. Putting the, he took his skills that he had in the uh, crime investigation world, he put them into action, um, and he started to evaluate these, uh, investigate the claims, despite his skepticism, even though he was not for it at all. And, hesita- and with hesitation, he worked his way through the Gospels. In this journey, he went from skeptic, angry atheist, to a committed follower of Jesus, And he trusted in the truth that Jesus was the Son of God, that he is who he says he is, and that the claims of the gospel are true and verifiable. J. Warren's life was unexpectedly, and in many ways, against his will. This was not what he was seeking, but his life was turned upside down by the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit had moved in such a way that Mr. Wallace was compelled to embrace the truth of of the gospel. He was no longer an adversary, but an advocate for the truth of God's word. He encourages skeptics and believers that answers are available and that you don't have to turn off your brain to be a believer. He invites us all to seek to know and grow in the truth and allow it to transform us from the inside out, to grow in our understanding of God's word, to have a true view. As we spend time in Acts 17 this morning, that may not be in your bulletin because uh, the Lord was at work here, not me. 
Uh, please keep Mr. Wallace's experience in mind. Our text will highlight two distinct types of people, those who took the time to dig into God's word, to know and to grow in the truth, and those who did not and would not. An appropriate question today to ask yourself, to honestly ask yourself, is, am I a Berean? Acts 17, if you want to join me, I'm going to be uh, starting with verse 1, actually. And we'll just read a little bit, pause, then read a little bit more, probably pause again, that kind of idea. Acts 17, verses 1 to 3. Now when they had passed through... I love it when they put names in here. Amphilius and Apollia, if I said those wrong, I did. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for, for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Upon arriving in the city of Thessalonica, Paul and his missionary team made their way to the synagogue. A synagogue could be formed any time that there were ten, ten Jewish males in an area. Thessalonica at that time uh, was a kind of a city of over 200,000 residents. And since it was also known to be a place of refuge for Jews when they were expelled from Rome, it was likely that there was a large Jewish population there. So it would be no problem probably to have a synagogue since you only needed ten Folks. For three weeks in a row, Paul went into the synagogue on the Sabbath to make the case that Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah could be, would be a Jewish king from the line of David, sent to save God's people. Paul used um, the Old Testament scriptures, the Bible, to offer up clear and decisive reasons why the Messiah, the Savior, the one the prophets spoke about, had to die. He had to suffer and ultimately rise from the dead, and specifically how these prophecies were fulfilled in one person, Jesus. One author wrote that this would have been a tremendous stumbling block for many of the Jews present, as their understanding was that the Messiah would be a conquering king, a liberating military leader. The idea that Jesus had come as a humble, sacrificial lamb and suffered a terrible crucifixion at the hands of the Romans, was, was beyond their ability to, to naturally comprehend. So even though this was in contrast to the prevailing ideas of the synagogue at that time, through the Holy Spirit, Paul was able to clearly outline um, how Jesus fulfilled the scriptures and how his sacrifice, his life, his death, his resurrection was the greatest rescue mission ever. We celebrated this last week, didn't we? We really can celebrate each and every day. Some believed, although unfortunately not all could be convinced. And we're going to pick up in verse 4 just to see how this played out. Verses 4 to 9. And when some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. 
and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people of the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. If you've read any of Acts, you know that this is not the first time an angry group of, Jew- of jealous Jewish leaders formed a mob and set to rid the city of Paul and Silas and the teachings that they shared. When they couldn't find them, they dragged out their host, Jason, before the authorities with great shouts and bold accusations. In short, they accused Jason of providing a place for Paul and Silas to stay, which he had, and that these men, Paul and Silas, had turned the world upside down. Upside down. Jesus can do that. A life in Christ changes a person from the inside out. Paul is a perfect example of such a transformation. From seeking to rid the world of followers of Jesus by any means necessary, even unto death, to being a man who lived to follow, honor, and proclaim the good news of Jesus to all. Paul's life was certainly turned upside down. He was no longer the man that he once was. And that's exactly what the scripture tells us to expect if we choose to receive and follow Jesus. There are oodles of stories of lives that were changed in the scripture and throughout history because of a sincere relationship with Jesus. How about you and I? Have our lives been turned upside down by the great love and truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What was your life like before you knew Jesus? How has your life changed? For me, it was my freshman year in college when the Lord awakened me and opened my eyes and heart in a mighty way to his word. It was through a Bible study of the book of James that a desire to live a life and, uh, of faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord of my life became very real. I had known many of the right answers, gone to church for as long as I could remember, and could act the part. But in truth, I had been living for myself. The Spirit used the scriptures in this season of my life to draw me to himself. By God's grace and through his power, my life was turned upside down as he began moving me and directing my steps in a new direction, his direction. Yeah, I certainly still trip up, stumble, fall, but following Jesus for the past 25 years has been quite a worthwhile and life-transforming adventure. I praise God for the part that BYC played in that, in fact. Just as a little side note. To move and draw me closer to the Lord. I pray that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, would be a people whose lives have been turned upside down. And as a result, we, we might lovingly share this transformational truth with others so that they may also experience the joy and the hope and the peace of a life with and in Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, may we become world changers, always pointing people to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But how? How can we be prepared for such a task? How can we be ready and equipped? We can't all be J. Warren Wallace's super smart investigators, but this morning I want to encourage each of us, myself included, to follow the example of the Bereans who approached what Paul and Silas taught 
in what is called a noble way. So let's uh, read verses 10 to 12 from chapter 17 now. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in in Thessalonica. They received the truth, um, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. The Bereans had this entirely different approach, different attitude from many of the Jews in Thessalonica. As Paul and Silas shared the Old Testament scriptures and the ways that Jesus had was clearly the promised Messiah, the text says the Bereans received it, um, received the word with all eagerness. And they examined the scriptures daily to see if this thing, these things were so. Their desire to know the truth was a stark contrast to that of the Thessalonians. They were hungry to know and willing to put in the work to grow. They weren't threatened by what they heard. Rather, they were inspired to seek the truth. Because if what Paul was saying were true, it would truly change everything. If Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer, then their lives would never be the same. So it was worth checking out, looking into, investigating. Brothers and sisters, may we be like the Bereans. May we have such a high view of Scripture that we seek it out daily. That we not only read it, but we study it. Even memorize it as you are working on that Joshua passage. May we apply it to our lives. James teaches that we should put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. To receive this word of God is to recognize it as the highest authority, the first place we go for answers, no matter what the situation is that we face. Desperately seeking, humbly and honestly asking the Lord to help us understand the words of life. May we take time to study the Bible, and may we find there all that we need and put it into action. Why, you might ask, should we regard God's word so highly? Justin read it earlier. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Just a little side note, none of us really like to see what's wrong with our lives. Wouldn't we rather everyone just be like, oh, you're great, well done, nice job. No, if we're really believing this word, we want it to show us. Picking back up in the scriptures, it says it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's pretty awesome. Sorry, that wasn't in the text. Back to the text. That is worth memorizing. Oh, no, this isn't in the text. This is my own thought. So I'm done with the text, and now we're moving on. This is worth memorizing. It's worth applying to our everyday lives. But I'll be honest, it takes humility. It takes a humble and teachable heart. It takes a follower of Jesus who is seriously willing to actually 
follow. Family, we have an incredible gift in God's Word, the Bible. As we study and grow in it, we should expect that the Holy Spirit will use it to turn our world upside down. I always think of like those rides at the fair, terrible inventions. I don't know who came up with them, the upside down rides that you're like hanging on for dear life. I, that, I pray in those situations and try to keep my insides in. But this, is, this might actually be similar, hard at times, to have our world turned upside down, isn't it? It's not a stretch to say that when we, uh, that, that we will be equipped to go into the world and turn it upside down also if our lives have been turned upside down. But not for our glory, not for our benefit, benefit but for the glory of God. I'll tell you right now, the enemy would like very much for your Bibles, for our Bibles to remain unopened, covered in a layer of dust, shoved in a bookshelf, or in our church bag. I don't know if you have a church bag. And for the truth of God's word to go unread, unspoken, undiscovered, and unknown. Satan would like very much for the thoughts of this world and the prevailing winds of culture to rule uncontested. By the power of God, we must lovingly hold fast to the truth. Comparing all the philosophies and ideas of popular culture against the truth of God's word. It isn't, and it won't be easy. But as Francis Chan has said, when we read something in Scripture that conflicts with what we think, we must assume that we are wrong, and that the Scriptures are correct. So when we read something in this, in this book, and, and it, we don't like what it says, or we're like, ah, I disagree. Francis Chan, and I would encourage you as well, that we must assume that I'm wrong and God's word is correct. The Bereans dug into the word. They daily sought the truth. Just like Jay Wallace, they took the time to search it out. And, and they searched out what they weren't sure of, to consider the possibilities. May we be Bereans, seeking and allowing God's word to, to wreck us, to transform us, I mean wreck us in like a positive way, even though it might be a challenging way, but to allow it to transform us, to know what is true and to follow Jesus even when it isn't easy or popular. In practical terms, what does this mean for us? To be clear, if we're to be world changers for Jesus, which I pray each and every camper who, and staff person who walks through the campus at BYC or anything that we put on, that they would be world changers for Jesus, we must Humbly open our Bible and study it and believe it and put it into action. If we just show up on a Sunday morning, if we just come here or, or read our Bible thought of the day on like Google or something, I don't know if they have that, or plaster a verse on our wall for a bit of comfort, it's quite possible that eventually we'll end up caving to the ideas of the world around us. The enemy certainly doesn't like it when we thoughtfully grow in God's word because our study and application of God's word is for God's glory and the advancement of God's kingdom and not his. Albert Moeller said Christians should turn the world upside down, straight up. Christians do love their fellow believers and serve them 
so that the cause of the gospel might expand. And we saw that in Jason's case. He took care of Paul. He brought him in. He cared and loved on Paul and Silas. Christians must proclaim not even another king, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is exactly what Christians do when they faithfully proclaim the gospel. When Christians try to blend into the flow of culture, rather than turn it upside down with the gospel, he says they no longer practice faithfulness. Faithful Christians disrupt because they carry a message which pierces the heart and offends corrupt minds. When Christians faithfully proclaim the gospel, they seek to dismantle Satan's hold on the world. Make no mistake, gospel preaching will turn the world upside down. And that's glorious. As we see from today's text, faithful proclamation of the gospel can and will likely lead to challenges. Jason faced accusations and had to pay a bond for his freedom. He had to, he had to buy his way to freedom. The angry Jews from Thessalonica followed Paul and Silas and others to Berea, and they stirred up the crowds once again. And we'll just finish up this portion of the text from verses 13 to 15 to to read about what took place. 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Even as the crowds disrupted this gospel preaching, the Holy Spirit was still at work. Don't fear. That's because the scriptures testify this in many places. The purposes and plans of God will not be thwarted. The purposes and plans of God will prevail. In this case, despite the persecution, the opposition, and uh, the truth and power of the gospel continues to spread to those in far-off lands. Like pouring water on a grease fire, the flames were not extinguished. They actually spread. And the gospel did its work of turning the world upside down changing lives from the inside out, transforming those who were searching, those who were lost, those who were without hope, those who were afraid, those who had questions, those who were in need. Each one of us were among those without at some point in our lives. Maybe you feel like that is exactly where you are today. I'm sorry if that's the case. But if it is, friends, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the Savior of the world, is that there is hope. There are answers. There is freedom, and that the Lord has provided us all through Jesus. Jesus, God in flesh, in his great love, came and gave of himself on our behalf so that we could be made right through his atoning sacrifice on the cross not because of anything we have done, or even because of anything we have not done, but because of who he is. The truth is, and the scriptures proclaim it, we are all sinners, broken, and have fallen short of the glory of God. This sin has separated us from our perfect heavenly Father. And nothing, 
nothing could do, we could do can make this right. But 2 Corinthians, and throughout Scripture we read this, but 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21, Paul says, At one time you thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How different we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling, of restoring people to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Beloved, because of Jesus, the old life is gone. It's gone. It's gone because of Christ. A new life has begun. It's through God's word we can know and grow in Christ. We can have a true view. Proverbs remind us that through the Holy Spirit we are to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, to lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge him and he will direct our path. So this morning I encourage you. If you haven't made this the foundational element of your life, God's word, if you don't desire it and seek it out, I encourage you this morning to do so. And don't fret if you've gotten off course. Don't fear. There is hope. There is forgiveness. There is grace in Christ. But don't carry on with that junk. Don't let it rule you. Don't, don't allow the things of this world to hold you. Submit them to the one who is able to bring life. I'm serious. You could be two years old, or you could be 90 years old. Is there something that's got a hold? Don't let it stay. As Mr. Wallace discovered the truth of God's word, he discovered that it's overpowering, that it does, in fact, transform a life. His, his entire life was flipped upside down. My entire life has been flipped upside down by this book. Has yours? May we seek the Lord with all that we got, with every, with every like last ounce of our guts. As verse 20 said, please, dear one, come back to God. Through a humble and desperate study of the truth of God's word, may our lives be turned upside down. And as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, may the lives of our family, our friends, our neighbors, do you know your neighbor? Our coworkers, our classmates, our teammates, our associates, and the skeptics in our lives be turned upside down by the gospel to the glory of God. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, your your word is challenging if we let it.
if we read it, if we study it, if we pick it up, if we allow it to impact our hearts and minds, Lord. I pray that this morning your spirit would move amongst us. That we would go forth not just having had a Sunday morning checking off that box, but that we would be transformed for your glory. If the world and the ideas of this culture have crept in, Lord, if, if Satan has gotten a hold of us, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, it would be he would have no place. That we'd kick him to the curb, that we would seek you and you alone, Lord. Seek what your truth has for us. And that as we study, as we seek, as we humbly come before you, Lord, that it would, our lives would be transformed, that we would be renewed of mind, that our hearts would be on fire for you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for the, the staff that you will bring to camp this summer, for the campers that you will bring to camp this summer, that you would even now be preparing their hearts and minds to be on fire from the youngest to the oldest, Lord, wherever they might be, Lord, that your word would be what we base our lives on. Thank you for your forgiveness. If we need to ask your forgiveness for not, for not seeking your word, help us to do that. We thank you for the hope that is in you, the life that is in you, and the freedom that is in you. And as we transition to move into the other room, if people are going to join in singing or if we're going to go get in our cars right now and, and head out, I pray that um, we would have a heart of worship to, to just be so grateful. We have so many copies of your word. We're like super spoiled compared to the rest of the world. We like just compile our bookshelves full of these Bibles, all different versions and different covers and different people that have thought have thoughts to share. We, we, we have these, and I pray that we'd be just so grateful for that. Not only grateful because we have, but that we would open this word every day and be trans- allow it to transform us. That we would pray even before we use it, that before we open the pages and say, guide me today, Lord. And when we come upon a question or come upon a, situation that's just be any situation i pray that we would seek your word and what you have for us the truth that's in it and that all of this would lead us to a life that's been flipped upside down not for our own good although it is a blessing but for your glory for your kingdom here on earth that others might see and know and desire to know you as well We praise you and thank you. Jesus' name. Amen.